What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. Today, we have my dad on the show, Hal Slager. Uh, he does quite a few things. Uh, one might call him a professional entrepreneur, but we get into the weeds. We talk about his background, kind of who he is. Obviously, Tim and I have a good idea of who he is, but talks about where he started, where he went to school, um, and then how he kind of left uh, Indianapolis to go up and help the family business up in Chicago. And so he takes us through that, what type of business that was, how he got into sales after you know, being in corporate life. He was uh, one of the original corporate accountants uh, before that. So uh, he kind of talks us through what that transition was like because that was a big move for him and my mom. So after getting his feet wet with the family business, helping get that under control, uh, he started to go into some of his, his other ventures. Um, and then eventually found himself wanting to uh, help out his fellow man and community, led him through a path of politics. So we do talk a little bit of politics, but it's not, you know, all the third rail things. We don't, you know, go on theories and this and that. We don't speculate all that. Uh, he just kind of talks about the things that he has done uh, within his role, uh, how he has helped others and what is next to come. So, Tim, uh, what do you think about having my dad on the podcast? What were some of your favorite uh, highlights? Yeah, I knew uh, the the father of Colin Slager would bring a lot of knowledge to the table because obviously he's passed <laughs> he's passed on quite a bit to you. And oh, he, stop. He, he passed stop. on a lot to, to us in this episode. Uh, yeah, so I I found interesting that the real estate aspect. So he talks about um, kind of his progression through that. So he started with fix and flips, um, then he went into residential, and then he went into commercial. So if if you're someone who's either in real estate or looking to get into re- investing in real estate. Um, hearing him kind of cover each of those things was was pretty cool to hear about. And you, you'll learn some good knowledge there, um, things that you'll want to know getting into it. So I thought that was good too. And then um, just like throughout his career, like obviously in sales, uh, in politics, like it's all about relationships, right? So I found, I mean, I got probably the most value out of hearing him talk about um, how he creates relationships, how he strengthens relationships. And um, he talks about like how he got his start in politics. And I mean, obviously it's through relationships. So um, I think you learned some good stuff there. And then um, the politics aspect, like obviously we have an idea of what we think politics looks like and um, like what politicians do. And um, I thought it was interesting to hear like from his point of view, like what a day in the life is like. And like, mm-hmm what the challenges he faces are and like what are the things he has to overcome like i just thought that was interesting to hear um that vantage point because i mean i i don't really talk to a lot of politicians directly on a daily day basis so i think it was very valuable for us to get him in here and um, i know you guys are gonna really love this episode um i i thought the way the the interview progressed like him kind of going through his career progression was an interesting and and awesome way to do the interview. So I think you guys are going to love it. Uh, Without further ado, episode 181, Hal Slager. Um, So everyone, we have uh, my dad joining us today, Hal Slager. So dad, thanks for hanging. Um, Glad to be here. Yeah. So I know we had had mom on the podcast. And so it's only right we got to even out both sides. But um, I feel over the last year or so, there have been some big changes in all your careers, real estate, uh, politically, you've had some some big things get done. So I think the timing is kind of perfect. Um, but for the audience, maybe intro yourself, a little background, you know, school things, what you studied, all that, and we will get into the weeds along the way. Well, um, some people call me Big House Slager, um, probably because I'm 
six five. Yeah, so. yeah, you're pretty tall. <laughs> well, you claim you've shrunk an inch from but, six that's six, right. but I, I'm not that way, I can tell. On the way down now. That's <laughs> right. And uh, but I'm not I'm not big. You know, like mm-hmm. they have the big and tall. Yeah. They don't have big or tall. <laughs> you're you're the back half. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm uh, so anyway. Um, I uh, went to Butler, as did the whole family. Yep. Butler University, yep. right here in beautiful Indianapolis, and um, I, I don't tell many people this, but I started studying in the environmental studies uh, oh. uh, program at Butler. Uh, really had a hard time staying awake. I, I loved the environment, <laughs> but the, the program just yeah. wasn't doing it. And uh, I seemed to be doing pretty well in accounting, so I ended up uh, in business school and um, uh, ended up getting my CPA as well. Started my career in public accounting. It is interesting to note, however, that... Um, Last year, there was a bill in the legislature that uh, uh, was uh, concerning wetlands, isolated wetlands that they were having a hard time with. And I happened to be on the environmental committee and ended up rewriting that bill. So, Well, you studied this it, stuff. It, just, it, it comes around. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, full it, circle. I love it. it. Yeah. That's right. But we'll get to that. So yeah. I uh, uh, really enjoyed the public accounting. I just didn't make much money at that and uh, you know but I was really entry level but what was interesting is while I was in my June between junior and senior year I started working there in the summer in the, the CPA firm so by the time I graduated and started with them full time I was going out on audits for the second time oh wow okay so it was uh, and I was going out alone handling some small audits so it was a, a terrific experience uh, then I ended up moving into corporate accounting uh, with Simon and Associates as they called themselves at the time they had a, uh, a corporate side where they handled the development as opposed to the management side where they were handling the, the books for all the operating centers sure we handled the all the projects that were in concept, if you will. And um, that was very interesting as well. There were six of us that did that. And then I got the call, uh, the family business, uh, the graphic arts uh, and pre-press in Chicago was in trouble. Um, There had been an attempt to try to uh, pull that away from uh, the family, uh, mass exodus, and it was just an ugly situation. So... Uh, your mom and I dropped everything and and went to, up there to try to salvage the business and and over time it worked out really pretty well. Yeah, and so it was about whether you could turn a bean counter into a salesman because that's what we <laughs> needed. We needed sales, and um, so yeah, I I, uh, I learned about sales uh, being thrown to the wolves. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll never forget making a. A business call on on a, uh, a prospective uh, agency or customer of some kind, and and um, there was a buyer there, the, a woman that had been doing it for some time, which was at that time in the in the early '80s a little unusual. And she she uh, 
said to me, eh, smile, have fun. And, you know, I was desperate to mm-hmm. get some business. Yeah. You know, I was new at it. The company was not doing well. And, uh, and I left there thinking, wow, she was really kind of in my face. That wasn't good. But I thought about that, and she was so right. And, and I found that when I would relax and just have fun with people, and and if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. Right. And and I'll point out the shortcomings right away because if they figure them out, then they wonder what else I've not sure. Been yeah, you're hiding more about. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So um, she really uh, did me a solid. Yeah. And uh, helped my sales and anything I did after that. That's cool. Uh, so. Um, the company tripled or quadrupled in sales over the years. And uh, in the process, uh, we ended up buying a building that we um, had the business in. And I had um, also an interest in real estate, obviously, working at Simon, Mm -hmm. and got into the uh, uh, real estate business on my own in residential. Um, uh, it was um, one of those things where, you know how on the late night TV they have these get rich quick schemes, oh, sure. you know, where, um, with real estate. Mm. I've not seen them lately, but they were real popular. And, and I was commuting in and out of the cities, uh, so I'd, I'd be in the car for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening, so I ended up buying a set of tapes to kind of learn the basics of of managing real estate mm-hmm. um, because what we did at Simon was a whole different level so I would listen to those tapes coming and going and really enjoyed it and uh, uh, you know it was everything is no money down everybody hears right. it uh, you can do it with no money down what people don't understand is that doesn't mean you're not putting money down. It means you're not putting your money down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that might mean a, um, a home equity loan um, that you're using to to put money down, but it, you're not actually digging in your pocket mm-hmm. to do it. Bring that mic just a little closer. To and me. so... Um, there we go. Uh, it was... Um, that's how it got started. Uh, I did uh, a rent-to-own and flipped it as a rent-to-own. Okay. Which was a little uh, unconventional. So at what point are they, do they have full possession where you you can take the check and you're gone? Like if it's rent-to-own, I I feel like that's a different... I bought it on a contract. It's like a (laughs) land contract. Okay. And so technically I had the right to flip it um which i did and i so i sold it on a land contract right away so i i found a tenant that wanted to to enter into a rent to own and uh so the the seller was getting a little extra money during the contract period and i was getting a little extra money and then uh at at and i timed it so that it would come together uh, at the same time and and we closed the deal and I was 
effectively a broker on the deal. Okay. The seller wasn't real happy when I walked away with more money than she did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a whole nother I thought that story. was a good finagle. <laughs> uh, I remember going to the bank as fast as I could to deposit the check. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so nobody uh, backed out. But that was how I got started and, and ended up buying some other residential properties. And interestingly, during the, uh, the, the recession of 2000, I guess it was 2008 that really kicked in, uh, the graphic arts business was struggling, and it was the real estate that was providing some revenue for me and uh, for the family. So it um, it really was important, and I think I might have also run for public office at that in that time frame as well. I got yeah. got the call, and I and I got on the town council by. F- 42 votes I won by. That's 21 people that decided to go my way versus the other one. Yeah, when people say, oh, my vote won't count, it doesn't matter. Oh, like in those municipal elections, those smaller ones, it does matter. That's right. Well, and I can even tell you what street it was because there was a a bar that was creating a lot of noise at night that was um, not being dealt with by Mm -hmm. the incumbent and they all voted for me. Yeah, that's, you dealt with it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's... Uh, um, so I'd really gotten into um, real estate pretty well with on the residential side. And the, uh, the property we had in Chicago was a mixed-use office, industrial, uh, flex space, they often mm-hmm. call that. And um, and I'd had the experience of doing a lease with the city of Chicago, because I we ended up moving out of that building and 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 leasing it to a couple of different tenants, and one of them was uh, the city of Chicago Department of Public Health, and until somebody's done a lease with the city of Chicago, they don't have any experience doing leases. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it, actually, it ended up working out pretty well. What makes those uh, so much different? Those leases? Mm-hmm. Well, as as uh, as the real estate manager for the city told me, he said, "Hal, we've got a building full of lawyers." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Why?" <laughs> and, he, and he said, "Because everybody wants to sue the city." No, oh, jeez. So. Um, you know they're they're long on lawyers and and so anything you want to change from their basic format is a big deal. Yeah, one sentence is a whole paragraph for them. Oh yeah, it's a, so that was it was an interesting negotiation. So after residential, um, you had that one commercial, more industrial. Uh, did you start to go more towards that way? Well, I had I had. <clears throat> several residential units Mm -hmm. and then what happened was in 2016 the property where our building was in the city really um, that area started to change and I just simply got an offer I couldn't refuse and so I sold the property and Within two weeks of closing on that property, our largest customer in the graphic arts 
business, uh, went into a structured bankruptcy, and they came out, but not with me. Jeez. And so I decided that was enough of that, and, and yeah. I, I was going to be out of Chicago with the building, so uh, we got out of that business. And then I used the proceeds to venture into more office buildings. And so um, uh, I found that with the office buildings, I could have more on-site management uh, freeing me up from the day-to-day stuff mm-hmm. where I would manage the, the business, I would manage the leasing, that kind of thing. Uh, so I sold off the, re- the uh, residential. So I, I've now moved into just the office commercial type yeah. property. And uh, how, did, how did residential treat you? I mean, we hear horror stories, and then some people do really well with it. What was your experience with with tenants and residential real estate? How did that play out for you in the long run? Well, it, it's, it's a business, so you're always going to have some headaches. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way it goes. But I learned how to um, interview tenants. Um it's amazing when, when you tell people, look, I'm going to do a, a background check that in, includes, you know, credit and criminal history. They pretty much come forth with anything because I'll say, so you might as well just tell me if there's something I need to know about. <laughs> and and I, um, I ran across a lot of folks that had some credit issues that, are sometimes understandable. People get into trouble because of bad marriages. They get into financial trouble because of medical issues, not because they're not trustworthy people. Mm-hmm. And um, I always said to them, look, be honest with me, and we can work together. And, and, and I had a lot of good tenants that took care of the property. That was always the, when I'd turn over the keys, I'd say, look, if you've got a, um, a a problem with the plumbing or the electrical or whatever, you need to let me know right away, mm-hmm. and we'll get it fixed right away. Treat the place like your own. Pay the rent on time, and I'll make sure everything's fixed in a timely manner. And that was the deal. Fair deal. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought so. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and and when they didn't pay the rent on time, it, if that happened, then I would remind them that and so I didn't have too many troubles and in troubles and I remember I had a handyman that was also a landlord and he'd be in these places and he'd say to me where do you find these great tenants they keep the place neat and clean (laughs) and and, um, so I I learned how to manage people in that regard Mm -hmm. and and had good luck the problem was uh, I didn't have enough residential units to have a, a, a manager for that. And I didn't want to be caught up trying to manage a, a handful of residential properties on my own. It just didn't sure. work for me. When I got into the uh, legislature, um, I did the town council for 10 years, and then they redrew the, the boundaries for the, the districts, and half of my town was in the district, so it was just a natural transition for me. 
Um, and so when I was away, we're away for four months at a time. Um, you know, there's only so much you can handle by phone and email. Sometimes you have to put eyes on the situation or right. deal with something face to face. And uh, so that's when I decided I needed to get out of the residential side of it. Hmm. And how big of a jump is it from residential to commercial? Are there a lot? Is there a lot of overlap? Are there major differences? Well, there's, or? There's major difference, uh, but probably not what you normally think. It, <clears throat> residential's easy to rent. Uh, I mentioned earlier during the downturn, the the real estate helped manage cash flow I was losing from other places, other areas, and um, uh, because people couldn't afford to buy, they were renting. So mm -hmm. those units were rented up solid. I uh, had no vacancy. Um, in the commercial environment, you can sit on property quite a while waiting to, to find the right fit for somebody to go into it. But when you do that, you don't normally have the anywhere the same kind of problems. These are businesses. They're not mm -hmm. living there. They don't have kids. They don't have pets. They don't... Sure. Okay. Have all the issues that come with that, and and the and the, the bathtub leaking and that kind of stuff. So uh, it's just it's very different in that regard. Yeah, I want to go back to um, when you left Indy to go help the family business because that's a major uh, event. What was that like uh, with you and mom? Um, what was that conversation like? Because um, you were one of the initial corporate accountants at Simon. Yeah. Uh, one could argue a pretty primo spot. Uh, so walk us through that that experience of okay, now we're going to go help the family business. Yeah, it, that was a tough time. We, um, your mom's a pharmacist. I was a CPA. We gave when she had been offered another job. So on one day we gave up three good jobs, <laughs> and um, uh, and we liked it here. Indy was our home. That's where our friends were. Yeah, and we had to drop all that. Um, it, it wasn't a risk uh, from a financial standpoint because we knew we could always find work. That wasn't the issue. It was just a matter of making that transition where we didn't expect to because it was it was made literally over the course of a of a few days, and we uh, packed a couple of suitcases and drove north, leaving everything in the apartment. We came back a month later to empty out the apartment. Jeez. And so, um, yeah, and then, then starting a new job, not knowing anything about the graphic arts to speak of. I worked there in the summer, so it wasn't completely mm -hmm. uh, foreign to me. But being in sales and, and being the boss uh, was was new. And so... Uh, that was an issue, and then your mom really didn't want to work in retail anymore, so she was looking for alternate types of of uh, pharmacy work that would give her a little more flexibility. And uh, one of our friends from Butler, who was a, a, a schoolmate of mine my whole life, was uh, 
uh, Scott Riberty with Riberty Drugs, and, and he calls up and he says, what's Carol doing? Because they were always looking for pharmacists. And I said, well, Scott, she's really not interested in retail pharmacy. And a couple of weeks went by, and he calls again, and he says, has Carol found a job? Well, not yet. She says, well, we should talk to her. We might be able to work something out. And and they did. They they ended up hiring her to float between stores to fill in where needed, and, and so she'd have more of a flexible schedule and not have to work all the weekends and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And she ended up working in in some lower-income areas, which she preferred because the people were so grateful when she would spend time with them. Hmm. And uh, as opposed to the upper-income areas where a lot of times they were doctors' uh, wives and they were not grateful. (laughs) So uh, she she did great in some of their more difficult stores. And I remember Mr. Riberty, uh, you know, I'd known from when he would help drive the carpool when we were in basketball in, in junior high. Yeah. And and so I, I I knew him for many years, and we'd go to some function, and he'd say, Hi, Hal, where's Carol? <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he was Out of the way, man. He was more concerned about her than, yeah, uh, because funny. she was a star because she did so well in some tough stores. Sure, okay. yeah. So that, that whole transition... Uh, took some time. Uh, we had to live with my folks for a month. Um, you know, that's a difficult. How was that one? <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what What about the opportunity move the needle for you? Like, obviously, you dropped like a lot here to move there. Is there anything specific about the work that excited you, or? Um, yeah, I guess what, what well, um, motivated you? Yeah, there. Not long before that. Uh, dad had transitioned into uh, rather than doing color separations using a, a large camera with filters they moved to a, a analog scanner mm-hmm. where they would do color separations using uh, an analog computer if you will and they would scan the images and separate it and, and so i Love the idea of computers and mm-hmm. and transitioning that. And of course, during my time there, we went from the analog scanners to the digital scanners, and 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 the world opened up at that point in time. And then this crazy device called the Macintosh came out, <laughs> and it changed the graphic arts industry entirely. And I became somewhat of a uh, a very knowledgeable um, person on not just the Mac, but how you could marry the technology that we had already with the shortcomings at the time of of the new computers and the new output devices, because there had to be a way to extract the information in the computer onto something that was usable. Sure. And the, that, that medium was lithographic film, uh, now they just go straight to a printing plate. They image the printing plate, and, and it's done. So most shops like ours, I mean, they're completely gone. Yeah. You know, the, the the printing company has, they take the disc from the designer, and they 
they do some preparation and and put it in place on the on the printing press. And so, what we did was largely gone. We we did so much digital editing of photos, and and now that's all done at the designer level. Yeah. So it either migrated up or down, and the people like us in the middle, uh, we were left behind. So I, I, we tried to transition into the creative, into the internet. We did websites. Those are much more difficult business models where you're um, working on projects for a long period of time. Our business model was it was usually in one day and out within five days later <laughs> or sooner. And then you bill it and you move on to the next project. Yeah. Um, when you get into the creative side, there's there's more flexibility perhaps on the on the on the revenue but but it's it's tough to to manage that yeah and then like transitioning again from that job into residential and commercial real estate are there any like parallels that worked within sales that allowed you to be successful in real estate because obviously you've Sounds like you established trust with your residents, like you have kind of a mutual agreement, but like, is there anything that you noticed that was really like seamless between the two for you? Well, not that I can think of uh, immediately, but I would say we are the sum of our experiences. Mm -hmm. And everything that we do helps prepare us for what's to come, Mm -hmm. whatever that may be. Yeah. You know, you hear stories of people, they have to take care of a family member who's been injured or sick or dying. And maybe they have to do that for a few years. But it, it always seems that they're they're then prepared for the next thing in some way Yeah. because of that experience. And mm-hmm. I, I would say that I, I pull on my experience from the CPA firm, from Simon, from... Mm-hmm. Uh, Trico graphics um, uh, experiences I've had working on a town council and dealing with people and situations. It all comes together. Um, now here I am working on legislation. It all comes together. The business experience, mm-hmm. the financial experience, uh, working with people. You think politics? It's all about people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I, I wouldn't call it parallels, but it's foundation. Yeah. Yeah. And is that how you looked at it? Like, obviously like we'll, we'll get into jobs and, and we'll, we'll be focused on that job alone, but is that how you approached it? Like, Hey, like what I'm learning in this job or in this capacity could help me in the future is cause it's, it's obviously easy to look back on it and be like that, that helped me now, but is I don't that know how that I give it? myself that much credit. Yeah, you're, okay. You're, you're, you're trying. To, We're honest on this show. When, when, when you when you when you've got a family and you're trying to make money and yeah. and maybe be involved in the community to make that a little bit better, uh, you're charging ahead. You're not thinking about it. Uh, looking back, right? Uh, in perspective, I'd say I I, I pull on all those experiences. Yeah. And I know you were kind of thrown into entrepreneurship. Did you always have that bug before that? Like, was there something in your mind where you thought, I'll probably at some point work for myself? Was that ever a, a notion before you had to go help with the family business and start selling or not really? Uh, I, I don't know that that was the case. I guess when I started in my career, I figured I'd be climbing a corporate ladder of some mm. kind. 
Um, but that wasn't in the cards. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't uh, go about life without trying to help the family. I really didn't want to go do that, but yeah. I, I couldn't just say no and not try. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just it's just the path that was presented, and I just followed the path yeah. that seemed like the right thing to do. And you mentioned the lady that helped you with with sales, some tips here and there. How else did you really study sales to get good at selling? And uh, outside of just doing it, uh, what were some techniques or things oh, you did to really improve your skills? That, that's a great question because. <laughs> So many times you see this, people are thrown into sales and they have no training, just mm-hmm. like I was. I was thrown into sales, I had no training. But then I started to realize sales is a profession. People that are really good at sales understand that it is a profession, that you have to practice it, you have to, you have to learn it. And uh, so I took a lot of classes, went to a lot of seminars, listen to a lot of tapes uh, on sales, salesmanship, how to go about that. And then I always have a lot of fun talking to other people in sales because everybody's got a similar story. It doesn't matter what they're selling, yeah. how they go about it, how they try to upsell, how they try to deal with people. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's a fascinating career, but people all too often to fail, they don't treat it like a career. They don't treat it like a, uh, a, a something they have to learn. Mm-hmm. It is not natural. The only natural salespeople in life are small children. <laughs> oh, they are. I can't decide whether I'm going to get the red bike or the blue bike. Wait, who said anything about a bike? <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's good. <laughs> Uh, was there anything along your sales career, um, whether it was advice or a different way to approach a client, that stuck out to you more than something else? Where, you know, you were you had a ride along, or someone gave you a, a nugget that was just to you revolutionary that really changed and upped your game. Uh, I, I guess the one that always comes to mind with me. Um, I, I mentioned that I was working in the family business during the summers. Mm-hmm. And this one summer, I must have been, I don't know if it was after my, might have been after my freshman year at, in college. And I needed, I needed to make money for the summer. And I went back, started working like I had in, in, at, at Trico Graphics. And, and I was only there a couple of weeks in we lost a major account that I was working on. Hmm. And so dad didn't have work for me. So he laid me off. <laughs> dad laid me off. You know, it did, didn't matter. Yeah. And so now, here I am for the summer. What am I going to do? What do I know? I, I knew some accounting. Mm-hmm. Not a lot, but I knew some. Yeah, And I ended up uh, finding... Uh, an ad in the paper uh, for a company that was um, uh, interv- they, they were placing people in temporary it was a temp service okay. for accountants 
And so uh, they, I, w I went and interviewed with them. I had to take a test. I did reasonably well. And they placed me at the Chicago Lighthouse for the Blind. So during that summer, I ended up working in accounting for uh, this organization that employs and works with not only uh, folks uh, uh, where their sight is impaired, but a lot of times hearing as well. And I was I was in the accounting department, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I really did enjoy working there. They, they once again people that you you um, give a little time to are so grateful. Um, it, it's fun working with people like that, and. Uh, I, Folks, I was in one of my duties. I was in charge of bus tokens. Okay, you know, they we would keep bus tokens on hand that they could purchase. Um, the clients could purchase, and um, and so I'll never forget this young man uh, who was blind. He had comes in and um, at least the blind folks you can hear them. The people that are hearing impaired. Are very quiet and I'd all of a sudden you'd have that sense that somebody's looking at you and they'd be standing there they didn't want to interrupt me oh, you know gotcha, I'd be yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway this this young man comes in and he wants to buy some bus tokens so that he could go see a, a friend at, uh, at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Hospital so think this through he wants he can't see but he's gonna go see a friend yeah at the hospital, and he's going to navigate the the mass transit to get there to visit a friend, and and of course then he's hiding these his money anywhere he can because these folks are so oftentimes uh, mugged. Uh, you know what kind of a yeah. person does that? So he he'd be busy getting his money out and then rehiding it. And getting his bucks, bus tokens, and and that's why after that, remember I said some of your experiences. When I have friends that are in the hospital, I make a point to go see them hmm. because of that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but to the point, at the end of the summer, uh, the boss of the accounting department calls me in. And he says, hey, we've really been happy with you. We'd like to offer you a full-time job. And I said, well, that's terrific, but I I, I think I'm going to go finish my degree. And he says, well, that's the right answer. I just I had to ask. Yeah. He said, you can lose all your money in a business deal, but nobody can take away your degree. So I always remembered that. Uh, as, as you know a mentor mm -hmm. um, yeah you always have the skill right yeah <clears throat> so yeah let's jump into uh, politics a little bit because you you've referenced that a few times started in, in the town council um, so how did that start where did that seed of thought come from where it was hey I want to get into the game of politics I guess I was always interested in politics okay um, I was the president of the fraternity, you know, so Fair enough. it started early. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
I guess one day I, I, I did a pie chart. I was at some seminar where they were, you're assessing your life and, you know, how's your family life, your business life, your faith life, um, your community life. And mine was, as, as most people with young families, mine was really out of balance. You know, it was all family and business and nothing else. So I was interested in trying to do some more things uh, in the community and, with, and maybe in the church, which I obviously have done too. But um, so I, I'll never forget, I, um, I was interested in politics, so I called the local party chairman and we talked a couple minutes on the phone. He says, well, where do you work? I said, well, I work downtown. Oh, well, that, we're not interested. Now, I don't know what that had to do with Just, anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but he, what did I say? He, I mean, who says no? Yeah. When somebody <laughs> wants to help out in politics, who says no? And, and so I thought, well, okay. And that was kind of it. And then uh, I was invited to uh, an event in Chicago that was put on by the Heritage Foundation, and I ended up meeting some of those people and I had to. I was on the. I was a treasurer for Printing Industries of America, mm -hmm. and I was in Washington D.C. on on that business. And so I made a point of setting up a a business call on the heritage. This woman at the Heritage Foundation, and we uh, we hit it off. We I didn't sell her anything, but um, she said to me after we ended up going to lunch and she said, Hey, well, why don't you get involved in politics? I said, well, I tried. <laughs> they weren't interested. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she says, well, why don't you just help out on a campaign? And I said, uh, like what? And she said, well, how about Congressman McIntosh was running for governor? And I said, he doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> <laughs> And, and uh, most interesting and, interview she had in a few and, years. And, and, and she, well, I got to back up. When I went up into her office, she was uh, not there. They, she'll be here in a minute. And so it was this big office, big corner office, and uh, in the district. And uh, I couldn't help but notice some of the pictures on the walls. So I, I walk over. And I look at these pictures on the wall behind her desk. And one of them is a picture of President Reagan behind his desk at the Oval Office. And um, uh, his, his chief of staff was next to him on one side. And, and, you know, it was Jim Baker and Ed Meese, you know, for those old enough to know who they were. They're sitting there and sitting next to the president making a presentation was the woman I'm about to meet with. Oh, geez. It turns out she was the deputy chief of staff in the Reagan White House. And, That's and cool. So, well, no, it wasn't cool at all. No. <laughs> I realized I was weighing over my head oh. <laughs> at that moment. And um, Good thing you're used to getting thrown to the sharks real quick. <laughs> yeah. but, but we ended up, we hit it off. We went to lunch, and, and, and so she... She says, uh, um, when I said David McIntosh would, would lose, she says, well, but people remember those that help even in a losing campaign. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, fair enough. But I don't know how I would get involved in in that campaign. And she said, well, he's a personal friend of mine. I'll call him. And, of course, and then I'm thinking, wait, I just told her he he wasn't going to win. And, and of course, by the way, he he didn't win. He, He got beat pretty good. But... But so I forgot about that. And it was, some weeks went by, and I get a call from the local state representative saying uh, he introduced himself, and I, I, I said, I know who you are. And he says, he said, well, I don't know who you are, and I don't know who you know. <laughs> but I just got a call from Congressman McIntosh telling me to get you involved. And that is how I got involved. It, just by chance yeah. meeting and and putting yourself out there, helped on the campaign uh, in the area, and then the local party official got in touch with me and said, "Hey, we'd like to get you involved on in a little more uh, level." And 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 so went from a precinct committeeman, and then they, how about running for town council? And I said, "You're crazy." And mm-hmm. I don't, they must have hit me over the head and put a pledge pin on me. You weren't but as crazy up, as you. You did. I, yeah, I, I ran for office against the guy they said couldn't be beat and yeah. and, and won by 42 votes, 21 yeah. people who decided right. to go my way. Well, that one lady wanted you on the team probably because you said the guy couldn't win. She knew you knew things. <laughs> she wanted you on their team, not someone else's. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. Like, yeah well, this, she knew this kid I was, knows something. She <laughs> knew I was conservative. Yeah. <laughs> So you get on town council, you beat the guy who's unbeatable. Um, how long were you on town council? What was that like? Big milestones for you? Yes, that? we had, ten years. I did that. They were four-year terms. So on my third election, I'm struggling doing math right now. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a tick. <laughs> I, I after the third race, I decided that this was going to be it. Mm-hmm. I, I just local politics can be very difficult because it's it's. I mean you dealing with friends and neighbors and I mean yeah. it's not it, it, it's not esoteric it is there mm-hmm. here um, everybody knows who you are so um, that third campaign was tough and I thought you know I, I after this four years that'll be good I, I'd already decided I was going to be done um but as luck would have it, uh, a year into it, they were redrawing the districts, and I realized that, that would be a district. So I, I, I ran for the legislature, and if I wouldn't have won that, I'd have still been a councilman and filled out my term. But as it turned out, I did win, and mm-hmm. and uh, so I only did two years of that four-year term, and somebody else was caucused in to take my spot. But during those ten years. Uh, we we did some interesting things. We had some drainage problems that we solved in town. We had wastewater problems that we resolved um, and saved ta- ratepayers a lot of money. We had some major development that uh, where we negotiated some very interesting financial dealings with that that ended up once again helping me. In the legislature, in understanding uh, things that affect the locals and, and how it all works, so it's uh, that that was a great foundation for the next step. Mm-hmm. 
and so that's uh, uh, after ten years, I was I was ready to move on to new challenges. Yeah, and just so people get an idea, when you say there were wastewater issues, drainage issues, development. Uh, maybe give us an example or two of when you reference something like that, the significance behind that for people living in that town. So maybe if they're thinking, oh, this, I don't know, some guy's running for town council. He's talking about this railroad. I don't know. Like, is it that big mm-hmm. a deal? Uh, maybe, um, yeah, a, a bill or two or, or an issue or two to show how significant those things can really become in well, that town if you're not paying attention. It's it's real world stuff. When <laughs> When somebody's calling you because their basement keeps flooding, I mean that that you're getting when when your basement's flooding, it's usually because the sewer's backing up. So the stuff coming in your basement's not pretty, right? And uh, it's a real problem. Now there are things that they can do, but but beyond that, we we had spot flooding throughout the town, and so. We started, we literally had every manhole inspected, every drain inspected, and it becomes a sum of a whole lot of things. There was no smoking gun that we found, but we found a thousand little firecrackers that add up. And then we also discovered that if we, if we, if we uh, uh, held back water in some of our existing detention areas at very low cost we would that adds up to a lot of water that then you can release slowly and not cause flooding and so for really very little money we solved a lot of of problems that people were having with their homes being flooded Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a big deal yeah, um, and that was just uh, because of a dedicated effort to to look under every rock, if you will, to try to identify where you can solve the problem. And it was not only the the drainage structure, but it was, and this is always the case, trying to hold back water so that you can release it in a in a manageable way. The wastewater treatment then was the the, uh, the secondary problem. When you've got flooding and you've got uncontrolled runoff, your 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 sewer system's going to be affected. There's going to be infiltration into that, and uh, so we were under uh, review by IDEM, the state environmental agency, because we were having a lot of sewage, raw sewage being uh, pushed into the into the drainage streams and creeks and what have you, and and that's not good. And you know all about the environment. You study. Yeah, that. that's right. <laughs> I slipped through yeah. it. <laughs> and so, You're a sponge. You still soak it up. <laughs> and and so we um, we uh, inherited a, a plan to to rework our uh, wastewater treatment system to the tune of about twenty million dollars. And uh, we decided, let's get some more ideas. And we, we called in another engineering firm that really specializes in that. And they said, they came back with a, a, a proposal to not only accomplish the same thing for half the amount of money, 
but it would also reduce our utility costs to operate the plant. Mm. And so it was it was a, a tremendous success for the town and the ratepayers in solving problems. And those are just real problems. Yeah. And so um, I think of all the big financial deals, but they really pale in comparison to solving problems that people are living with every day in their homes. So they redraw the uh, district lines. You run for state. Um, you know, you had some big transitions from residential real estate to commercial state pol- or uh, local politics to state. What was that jump like when you got elected as state rep, going from town uh, politics to little bigger stage? Six more digits. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Good talk, everyone. Thanks for hanging. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we went from talking about millions to billions. Okay. You know? <laughs> hmm. Okay. So, I mean, really, that's yeah. the, the problems are largely the same. The dollars change. I mean, we, we, had, we had departments in the town that, you know, I'd get calls because there was a problem with the water department and the billing or something like that. Well, I get the same kind of thing. I get calls from people that they have a problem with state agencies, whether it's uh, unemployment uh, insurance, compensation, whatever the case may be, the dollars are just bigger. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for some reason, a call by a councilman is the last thing they want at town hall. And a call by a legislature, legislator is the last thing they want uh, if it's Indiana Medicaid or or IDEM or whoever or INDOT, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They don't. They really don't want to have to deal with us. Hmm. And so all of a sudden it gets fixed. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Imagine that. <laughs> um, so we talked about practicing, uh, especially when you transitioned into sales. When you got into politics, whether that was town and or state. You know, there is so much information. Every time I talk to you about a bill or something going on, there are so many things behind the thing going, like, happening, yeah. where it's it's information overload to me almost. Right. How do you practice knowing how things tie together or practice your politics, if you will? Because there's a lot of deal-making, too. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> there again, it's the sum of your experiences in business, in in uh real estate in local politics it all kind of rolls up um when you're talking about state government i pull on all those experiences Mm -hmm. in sales sales training you think sales isn't involved when dealing with people it's always involved uh people are not always happy (laughs) and how do you deal with those you know there's that, that takes some experience. Now, when it comes to the issues, you have to learn the issues. You, you, you just dive in. and I, I, I seem to have been uh, involved in a number of Medicaid-related issues. Well, I didn't know anything about Medicaid. And interestingly, the people at Medicaid are not very forthcoming. You know, they... they um, 
they're not they will they will give you only what you ask for i call it malicious compliance <laughs> Uh, even if they know you're asking for the wrong thing, they'll give you what you ask for. Yeah. And so um, a lot of times it's about learning the questions. I, I, I think in life um, asking interesting questions is really at the heart of anything, whether it's business or politics, uh, asking interesting questions. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and, and that's where you find out uh, where you need to go next, oftentimes. We did that, uh, uh, the South Shore Line uh, light rail uh, train expansion in northwest Indiana. And I remember the head of the Regional Development Authority was really quite proud of the fact that he'd already gotten four counties to agree to pitch in a certain amount of money for their local share. And I'd heard that on a couple of occasions, and finally I asked the interesting question. Hey, would you send me the paperwork? I'd like to take a look at that agreement. And he says, paperwork? We don't have any paperwork. I said, then you've got nothing. <laughs> because yeah. until there is a public vote You've got nothing. Yeah. And, and so then I realized at that point in time, if we left this up to interlocal agreements, waiting for the locals to come to all these agreements and sign documents and pass them in resolutions, it would never happen. So that became a part of an integral part of the bill putting all the details of the agreements between the parties and how they will contribute and the way they will operate, that all became a part of the bill. I never dreamed that that would be a part of the bill until you start you start in. Asking the questions, yeah. yeah. That's one thing Tim and I, we're always trying to ask better questions, more interesting mm -hmm. questions, and, you know, it, like... I get the feel good when people are like, man, you guys ask really good questions. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> um, but you, you brought up an interesting point and wanted a, one I wanted to get to of if you had the locals vote on it, it wouldn't have gotten done. Right. Um, take us through something bill-wise that it's, you, know, you kind of gave that one, but one where maybe the locals should have had more say on it than lawmakers and one where it's, Hey, it's a really good thing because locals wouldn't have known anything about this if we didn't make this decision. Well, let me be clear. In, the, in that example, if we'd left it up, what, what I was saying was, if we'd left it up to the locals to handle all the local agreements, I just don't think it would have, would have happened. But in that particular case, at the same time, if I would have gone to their to their representatives, their legislators, and said, here's what we're trying to do, it had been chaos because they're contacting their locals and the locals don't know what's going on and, and, and I'd have never gotten buy-in. So in this case, in that particular case, I worked with the locals. I worked out all the terms of the agreement okay. with them and then put it together in, in, a, in the bill and shared the language with them to the point where when we had it right, they contacted their 
representatives and said, okay, vote for this. Yeah. <laughs> it was done. Yeah, nice. So that was, that was, that's a real secret of success is when it comes to legislating, when it comes to governing, it's much better governing from the bottom up than top down. Um, uh, I, I've run into it so many times where uh, they come to the locals come to us with a problem, and I I end up saying to them, look, I don't know a lot for certain, but I know this for absolute certain. If you are going to leave it up to the legislature to resolve your problem, you're guaranteed to be unhappy. Guaranteed. So you figure it out, and when you come to us, and we have to decide whether it's good public policy or not. And um, when, when they come to that realization, that's when we usually can get to some real negotiating. You know, they, they have a bill in one house, and then it comes over, and they don't like something in it. And, and then I, I'll say, well, what do they think? Oh, they, they don't want to do what we want to do. What makes you think I'm going to do yeah, that? Right. That's not going to happen. And that's when we get down to real negotiation. We go from what they want to trying to find a spot where everybody can live happily. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not even happily, but a good landing spot where yeah. everybody can can live with it yeah. sometimes everybody leaves unhappy but they can live that's with a good it. deal yeah. <laughs> yeah um tim not that i want to put you on the spot but kind of you had a question uh about policies earlier before my dad got here about, oh yeah and, oh and, the and, specific and policy his, that I was... in his point of view yeah, yeah. wait who's going to be put on the spot i just put well <laughs> yeah that <laughs> sounds like i'm gonna well, be that's a good question to... yeah i'm putting tim on the spot to put you on the spot yeah, I mean, just the most recent thing that's been going on. Well, maybe not the most, but it's somewhat recent. But everything with, with COVID going on and the mask mandates and everything, obviously this has been probably, based on what we've seen on like social media mm-hmm. and our groups and our families, definitely the most thing that's been talk, talked about in the past year from like the bottom level you were talking about. So um, I guess what is your stance on that? And I guess how has that been navigating all that? Because obviously with cdc and everything there's been a lot of different information that's like constantly being updated constantly being changed so i guess what's your experience with that um like seeing it, like everything constantly changing i guess how have you navigated that right it's kind of a loaded question but yeah that's one thing i wanted to ask yeah that's been a very difficult one to navigate See, that's an interesting question yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, we practice. Yes. yes. <laughs> Good job, Tim. Keeping our reputation. Um, we started working on this as an ad hoc group of legislators back in the summer of last year, mm-hmm. trying to figure out where we could land. And what's interesting is we had such divergent opinions, not necessarily by party lines. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got their own concerns. For instance, we may have some very conservative elderly people, but they're really nervous about the virus because they're they're in a a group that um, can be affected 
seriously by the virus. And so many of them are all in on mask mandates and vaccine mandates because they're concerned, legitimately concerned. So it, it wasn't necessarily along political lines. And, and then, then the other side of that equation, uh, we had some very conservative uh, folks that were very upset with the governor when he had a, a, a mask mandate and some of the shutdown things and, and the executive orders. They're very much against that. But then they wanted me to contact the governor and have him do like some other governors have done, issuing a mandate that you cannot force people to have a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. it's, it's, it's inconsistent. Yeah. yeah. You know, either you're in favor of mandates or you're not. You right. can't have it only when it's the way you like it. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've, I've had a number of folks on my side of the aisle that are not happy with the fact that I'm not going to get in, on board with uh, preventing mandates. Mm-hmm. And so what we did in the legislature, once again, was, and, and we're just about there. I mean, this that bill is now near the finish line. And what we came up with was, if you're a private organization and you want to have a vaccine mandate, you, you should have that right. It's your organization. But in, in government, we use, in schools, we usually have certain exclusions, um, whether it's a medical exemption or a, uh, or a religious exemption um, where you can opt out of that with certain requirements, so, you know, so maybe the, the employer wants to test you twice a week or and you have to go through that. That's just the deal. And so um, we're, we're really in the 11th hour of, of that legislation, but it's, it's, it's preserving the freedom of a business to run the business the way they want mm-hmm. while also trying to preserve the individual rights of the voters. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that we run into, the most difficult issue we run into, is the conflict of individual rights. Make it simple. Mm-hmm. Smoking. Uh, there are those that believe they should have the right to smoke, and there are others that believe they should have the right to not have to smell it. Mm. Right? Sure. That's that just... Those, yeah. that's a, those are individual rights in conflict. Mm-hmm. And so how do we manage that? And we try to do it with the least amount of government intrusion as possible. Mm-hmm. So in that case, you know, we, you, you can't smoke in public places and you have to be so far away from the building, but you can still smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these vaccines are really no different. There are those that are, are concerned about the spread of the virus and those that believe they should have dominion over their own body. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think there are, there are circumstances where from a public policy standpoint, 
I don't know that we've really had a problem with it. I think back at like polio. I don't think you had to talk anybody into getting the polio vaccine. Right. Yeah. You know, because if you got polio, it was not a bad cold. It, yeah. it, it wasn't a 99% it was, survival. It was not long COVID, right? It yeah. was it was serious. Yeah. And, and so I think when we've encountered those and the risks are really high, it changes uh, the metrics mm-hmm. and how you approach that. But in, in this particular case where, you know, you, you don't want to count numbers because if we lose... Uh, anybody it's it's difficult but but when it comes to individual rights when you've got a 99 point something survival rate i think we have to consider not trampling our individual freedoms too so that's been the difficult thing to navigate Mm -hmm. because once again no matter the bill that will come out will probably not make anyone happy right but it is a place where hopefully most of us can live with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a great way of putting it yeah, yeah. and it's, like you said we're close which is a good thing that it sounds like we're close because people are over it it's like let's right let's well, get past it we we expect the uh the executive orders to end probably by friday Oh, wow. Very well, soon. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, I would like to get into, uh, you referenced the pediatric bill. And I think that's probably one of your highlights. I don't want to speak for you, but that was a big one. Um, and I'd like to dive into that, the challenges with that, because um, you would think that no one would have an issue helping kids with cancer, helping families that have kids with cancer. Mm-hmm. So maybe take us through the premise of that bill and how you had to really negotiate some things and and fight some battles to get that done. Well, I think we need to go even further back. Uh, Your mom pointed out that I started uh, raising money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society running marathons. And, um, you know, so that goes way back. And then... I'm in the legislature and I get approached by the Northwest Indiana Cancer Kids Foundation because they've got lots of children that depend on Medicaid and they have to go to Riley for for serious care because the reimbursement across state lines, this imaginary line, changes everything. And uh, so rather than traveling 20 miles, the family is having to go 170 miles. Uh, Not that, I mean, Riley's a great hospital, but it's 170 miles away for a lot of folks in northwest Indiana. And then we have the same problem uh, in the Louisville market. Once again, lots of Hoosiers in southern Indiana that would, would go for pediatric care in Louisville. And then the same thing in the Cincinnati market. Those services just happen to be across state lines. And what most people don't realize is about half of Hoosier children depend on Medicaid. And, and that is mind-blowing. But when you think that so many two-parent homes or even one-parent homes, they, they, they have insurance, but they, they don't get family coverage. 
So maybe both mom and dad get insurance. And, you know, kids never get sick, right? Mm -hmm. If you got to pay for a broken arm, yeah, that's, right. you know. But when kids get sick, they're, they're, they're complex care situations usually. And when they're treating them for uh, cancer and, and um, with all the drugs, it starts to impact their hearing and other, other problems when they're young like that. And so they become complex cases. And um, so that's, I got involved because these Chicago hospitals were getting reimbursed at such a low rate compared to what they were getting for in-state Illinois Medicaid reimbursement, which is still not great, but uh, they were they were passing on those. Of course, they had to take emergencies, but yeah. for long-term care, they they were passing on that. So um, we started seven eight years ago looking into this, and once again, we're dealing with an agency that really doesn't want to change. They're invested in the status quo. And we didn't know what the questions were to ask. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it took time to learn what we could and could not do because Medicaid, it's a, it's a federal program administered at the state level. And the state usually kicks in one-third and the feds kick in two-thirds. So we're partners on the deal. So we can't just do anything we want without getting approval from the partner. And each state does this. They they administer the Medicaid program, and uh, and of course Medicare is different. Medicare is for uh, largely the elderly, and, and mm -hmm. that's a that's a federally administered program. So we don't get into Medicare, but Medicaid is is all ours. And so I had to learn Medicaid, and I'm. I don't think you ever learn it all. <laughs> I, mean, you, I, I know enough that I'm starting to know what the questions are to ask. And so last year, we finally got a bill that was a sweet spot. It, was, it made the most sense in how to manage this and compensate these out-of-state hospitals that are registered with Indiana Medicaid in a way that was at least acceptable. And um, we passed the bill last year, then we had to uh, submit a waiver to the federal agency to get approval to do this, which was granted, and we started in. The part you don't know is that I just learned within the last two weeks that now the Illinois hospitals are once again denying services to Hoosier kids because where they had real complex care or very expensive procedures, transplants, that kind of thing, the calculations change because they're, they're in this whole new level of, of, of care and, and cost, and it's called an outlier. And what the agency had done, Indiana, Medicaid, when they applied for the waiver from the federal agency, CMS, 
they excluded reimbursement on the outlier computation. They did it on purpose. Was it not asked for? Well, it's fundamental. Hmm. I mean, why would you not include that? Why would you do that? Yeah. That, that makes no sense. Do you have a speculation? I'm not going to speculate. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, um, so now we're scrambling to try to figure out whether or not that outlier computation was figured in our fiscal analysis last year and whether we've got that covered or not. Mm. And the answer to that question dictates what we do from from here on. So we're still working through that, but I've got less than a week to try to find some kind of a solution yeah. to this new problem. So it's, it's well, I, I call it the fourth branch of government, the administrative state. <laughs> there are others that called it the swamp. Yeah. That's the swamp. Got it. Yeah, I don't know if people really know what the swamp refers to. They think it's you know one party or the other, and the one they're against is the swamp. The swamp is, are those that don't have to face the voters. Mm. Okay. Well put. Good perspective. Yeah. <clears throat> so, what were when you're figuring this bill? What were some of the questions that? You know, at first you said you didn't know the right questions to ask. Oh, what well, were some that you know were missed? Could have the very first question. I mean, this is a great illustration. I said to them, "Why is the rate so much different that we pay in Indiana from Illinois?" And the response was, "Well, we we have the same rate, technically." That's correct. It was just the wrong question to ask. Interesting. The right question would have been, why does the reimbursement amount that Illinois gives these Illinois hospitals seem to be so much different than the Indiana reimbursement amount? Confusing reimbursement and rate is a strategic error because huh. they're very different. And what happens in Illinois, the rate is pretty much the same. But each state has different add-ons and multipliers and the way they compute these things. And then there's, there are other mechanisms that help ramp up the federal reimbursement. And, and uh, so there's lots that, that goes into it. And, of course, they wouldn't share any of that with me. I didn't even know any of it existed. And it's a matter of reaching out to enough people and picking up bits and pieces from people that are willing to help mm -hmm. that started to make me understand how that puzzle comes together. Yeah. And how much reach across uh, party lines did you have to do for this bill? Was this more bipartisan? or uh, It went through, <clears throat> when we hit the sweet spot, this is what happens. We went through the House committee unanimously. It passed on the House floor unanimously. It went to the Senate committee, passed unanimously, and went to the Senate and passed unanimously. Mm -hmm. So we never got a single no vote because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So I can assure you that when I figure out 
what we have to do here to fix this, I won't have any problem. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. And and who's going to put a vote against sick kids on the resume? Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is our future. Yeah. Jeez. Um, I probably have a question or two left, but Tim, any other questions that you have? I know we've kind of been working through quite a yeah. bit here. Uh, I'm good on my end. I, I asked what I want to ask. Okay. Real estate. Um, yeah, one thing we've been asking quite a few of our guests, uh, especially business owners, is, and I know you've had a very extensive career doing a bunch of different things, whether it be from owning a business and or politics, how has a lesson from or lessons from either of those made you a better person as being a business owner or in politics? I know that's a big question too. Yeah, well, I think... I think age has something to do with it too. I, Thirty-five I was, is still I, pretty young. I was, just... <laughs> I was uh, so impatient when I was younger, and and um, I, I, I guess I've learned patience. I don't like patience, but I've learned patience and and understanding. Um, you know, I we disagree uh, in the legislature. On any number of things, but I think we all get along pretty well yeah. because I've come to realize that um, most everybody's doing their level best to represent their district the way they think it needs to be represented, and I have to respect that, mm -hmm. even though we may disagree. But on the next bill, we'll agree. So we, you know, yeah. We do our job and move on to the next one, and and so again, that's something you learn. It's it's experience. All of it rolls up as we've talked before. Yeah, and do you think that's more the case than not? Because I feel like, especially with mainstream media, we see maybe ten percent of politicians and how they all hate each other. Do you think in outside that environment? people are really working across lines and have that understanding more so than we're led to believe? Uh, if everybody, we, we have a simple rule in the legislature. We don't attack motives. Nobody really knows what somebody else's motives are. So don't go there. Okay. Good it's rule. not worth it. And if everybody thought that way, until you've walked in someone else's shoes you don't know what their path has been like and so i think a lot of people forget about that and 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 yes there's a lot of consternation a lot of polarization of of views and opinions and and uh, oh i get my share of nasty grams that's for sure and it, and uh and I, and it's tough because all of us as legislators and even local public officials, it doesn't matter. We struggle with decisions. And we're going to make decisions that not everybody's happy with. That's just the way it is. Yeah. But it's not like we, we enter into them without strong consideration and, and evaluation. And uh, so that's the tough part. And... Mm -hmm. and I think we get along much better in the legislature 
than many of the people we represent. We <laughs> have, I mean, we have real polarization in this country. Yeah. On both sides. Yeah. And um, I think we, we just need a little more patience and understanding and realizing that just because that's your right, whatever it is, whatever that is, mm -hmm. does that does it doesn't mean that you have the right to infringe on somebody else's right. And right. people forget that. Yeah. That is the issue we deal with all the time. And to your point, you think people are trying to do their best job. Politics is like war. No one thinks they're wrong. They think they're doing the right thing, no matter which side. We think we're the good guy and they're the bad guy. They think they're the good guy and we're the bad guy. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much that really takes place at the federal level and how much is just uh, you know ramped up by the media because sure. it, it helps... Yeah, it's headlines. Yeah. Sell head, you know, papers and and airtime. But um, all I can say is, uh, I I we get along pretty well. Good. It's good to hear. Probably why our state's doing so well. Well, I'd like to think that's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we always have one more question we ask all of our guests. But anything else, Dad, that you wanted to hit on before we? take off and wrap up here anything else people that you think need to know something you want to share anything else business-wise politics other um we've covered a pretty broad range of yeah of life we've hit a lot of things you know i just uh, <clears throat> want to try to leave the place a little better and mm -hmm. hope i raise some sons that are good citizens <laughs> I think so far so good. Yeah, I would except that one thing. Tim, we had that. You know, with the yeah, I don't want to know yeah, about that. Know, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't speculate. Yeah. Um, so we always want to know uh, how people want to be remembered. So when it's all said and done, and you kind of already alluded to it. That's it. Um, yeah. So uh, that's it. Anything else to yeah. that, or just you left the place better than you found it? And raise good citizens. And raise good citizens. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. See, I'm like, I, I think that. I mean, really, that's it. Yeah. we're all going to be gone someday and probably long forgotten, but make the most of the time we've got. Yeah. I like that. Yep. Excellent. Dad, thanks for uh, your time hanging with us. I know you're busy, but uh, appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Well, Glad it's we got fun and, and good luck with this, uh, these podcasts. Thank yeah, you. Appreciate right. it. Yeah. We'll keep it rolling and until we can. All right. So, all right, everyone. Thanks, thanks for hanging. Until next time, we'll talk to you later.